the student of the game podcast where we break down the life strategy and advice of successful individuals who are students of their own game and masters of their own craft thanks for tuning in let's get to the episode Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. My name is Tim Stone. I'm here with my co-host Nick Galbraith. And today we have a special guest, Matt Colangelo, aka the wealthy marketer, tuning in from Vancouver, British Columbia, in Canada. So thanks for being here, Matt. Yeah. Happy to be here. Happy to represent Canada and happy to share more with you guys on the movement behind the name known as the wealthy marketer. Awesome. I believe you are our very first international guest. So congratulations. Woo. That is an honor. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, honor. I'll tell everyone a little bit about how we met. We met in Nashville a couple months ago at a Coach Bird event, which was a great event. It was, For sure. it was an awesome time. And uh, my first time really spending any time in Nashville. Um, nice. But it was awesome. We had a great chat. We went out for some beers. You snuck me into a couple bars on Broadway because yeah. I yeah, was not 21 yet. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then, uh, yeah, so that's how that's how we met. We've been in contact since. And uh, now sure. let's just dive into everything that happened before that. Tell us about your life. Okay, yeah, definitely. So, uh, I, again, I am Canadian, born and raised. Uh, I was born in born and raised in and around the Toronto area, which is pretty much the biggest market in Canada and the fifth biggest market in North America, you know, it's kind of like the size of like you, you could compare it to Chicago kind of thing to some degree. Right. Though it is Canada, it's not America. Right. There's there's two, two, that's a big difference. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So born and raised in Toronto and then um, in and around my 37th birthday, uh, I decided that I had enough of Toronto and I had enough of the suburban lifestyle. uh, So I convinced my wife, to sell the house, sell the stuff and relocate the family from, you know, the East coast of Canada and Toronto all the way to the West coast of Canada, uh, where we ended up in Vancouver, BC. Um, so that's kind of like a unique kind of thing for Canadians, believe it or not, not many people make those kind of moves, especially families in America. Like a lot of you guys, you pick up and you go here, you go there. It's, it's much more common, right? You guys also have a lot more options. Yeah. Uh, but for someone like us and, you know, Canadians in general, it's kind of a rare thing. It's a rare, big, bold move. Yeah. Um, and then when when I moved out west, uh, I started to uh, develop this kind of concept uh, behind the wealthy marketer. And uh, it was it, it was ultimately an accumulation of a 25 year journey that I've had being a professional marketer. Right. I went to school for marketing. I went to college for marketing. I went to university for marketing. I established my career in marketing. I provided for my family through marketing. I made investments happen through marketing. Uh, I, be, I started my own businesses with marketing as the foundation uh, and lived the you know digital marketer lifestyle and ultimately gained freedom over my time and place. And uh, going through this whole kind of like process over the course of 25 years, I eventually came up with the name the wealthy marketer and then behind the wealthy marketer there's kind of like this process that i've been developing where i ultimately want to teach other people who are doing marketing for a living 
how to become a wealthy marketer themselves. Cause I've got, kind of gone through the process trial and error, right? Doing all these things, uh, running businesses, taking on jobs, um, making moves. Right. Yeah. And now I feel like I can teach more people how to become wealthy marketers in the process. That's great. This needs to be implemented in the school systems. You yeah, gotta yeah, take, yeah you got to take yeah. Matt's course to pass college. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of all those kids that go to school. Yeah, they go to post-secondary school, especially for marketing, and then they come out and they just end up finding themselves in all these kind of like uh, mistakes, right? If they follow my process, uh, they'll end up being a lot stronger as a person, um, and also a lot stronger financially, which is very important, right? So hopefully one day the wealthy marketer message and the wealthy marketer process will be available to college and university students all across America, Canada, and the world. That's the goal. Yeah. And we're excited to be a part of that, uh, that vision. Yeah. <laughs> getting it out there across yeah, the college students. Yeah. So yeah, sure. when you hear a lot about just marketing as a profession, first thing that comes to mind is just go to school, get a marketing degree and get a marketing job. Maybe you do, stuff on the internet, you create ads or whatever, yeah. but you, I've never heard of building wealth through marketing or building wealth through a career in marketing. So right. I'm really excited to dive into that, but could we take it back way before the wealthy marketer and hear a little bit about your life? What was, what was your up, upbringing like? What was it like growing up in Toronto? Uh, yeah. And, you know, as a question. kid, was, so, how was your family? Yeah, definitely. So I grew up in like an area that uh had a lot of like technology companies mm -hmm. they established their uh their you know canadian headquarters in a town called markham markham ontario canada which is just kind of like north of toronto suburban sprawl um but like ibm had their canadian headquarters there right uh intel had a canadian headquarters there apple had an office just all kinds of any any technology company that you can think of, any American technology company that you can think of, the majority of them established their, you know, Canadian headquarters in the town that I grew up in. Right. So at the same time, I grew up in a in a household that was more blue collar, right? Like my dad drove a bus for like the major, you know, transport, the major public transport system, right? So I, I grew up in this blue collar household, right? But I was also surrounded by like a lot of kids who whose parents were working for technology companies. Even my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, they're all tied into these technology companies, right? So I saw, I had, I got exposure to a lot of wealthy households, wealthy ways of living, you know, people with big stock portfolios. I had friends that had trust funds, like all this stuff was like right there in front of me. Right. But at the same time, I was observing it as like an outsider looking in because, you know, you, I come home and like I'm in a blue collar home. It was a nice home in a nice neighborhood. Right. But like the way of thinking and, and what I could be exposed to. Right. Due to kind of like the limited uh, the limitations of, you know, taking on a blue collar role. Um, yeah. Didn't necessarily allow me to have all the benefits that my friends had. Right. Mm -hmm. But I still got exposure to the to this uh, the wealth principles. Right. Um, and it kind of like stuck with me. Um, uh, but at the same time, like I still kind of like follow the, like a middle-class path. Right. 
Um, and I had to kind of like fight through and like try to like, you know, move myself away from the middle class thinking, right? And try to align more with the wealthy thinking that like a lot of other people around me had direct exposure to, right? Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like an interesting uh, upbringing in, in that light, right? Um, and it just made me kind of like always hungry for building wealth for myself, right? Um, but then at the same time, like I paid my way through school. I worked, I paid my way through school, I grinded it out. I went, I, 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 did, I did two marketing programs. And, um, you know, when it was all said and done, like I came out of school and like I had debt, you know, I was trying to like find like a decent job. Uh, I was in like a serious relationship. There was a lot like kind of like happening. Right. And then I was all, always worried about paying off the debt and not investing. You know, I got to pay off the debt first and then I'm going to start to invest. Right. Um, so, you know, I fell into kind of like traps like that. And you know, one thing led to another. And shortly after I finished school, um, I got married. I got married at a young age, similar to maybe how Tim might be. <laughs> Potentially. Yeah. Um, and, you know, still kind of like worrying about this debt, but I wanted to get into real estate. So then, you know, I got into real estate. I became a homeowner, right? Um, but then I went years without kind of investing in stocks. And at that time, you know, crypto kind of didn't exist. Right. Um, and I feel like, you know, there was this missed opportunity. Right. I shouldn't have been so focused on the real estate. I should have, like, got the stock market working first. You know, maybe someone could have told me, showed me the way. Right. And, and then got into real estate thereafter. And then when crypto came along, you know, 10 years ago, get into that, too. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess like to sum, sum things up, like my journey coming up, uh, I I was exposed to a lot of like really wealthy people, right? I came from a middle-class household in a nice, nice home, nice neighborhood. Um, but I really had to like, kind of like uh, fight my way through to make everything happen. I didn't have much help, right? I, you know, I paid. You had exposure, but it wasn't part of your upbringing. Pardon? You had exposure, but it was not part of your upbringing. It wasn't a part of my upbringing. It's like, a, it's yeah. like a tease almost, you know? Yeah. It was right there in front of me, but like I didn't have like direct access, access to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so then I kind of like, uh, you know, once I kind of like got married and got established with my career. Um, let's just see here. What happened, guys? What happened? And I remember uh, listening to your first episode. You talked about when you came out of college, it was kind of the dot com boom. Yeah. Right. And you didn't know, you know the internet was kind of broken. And so digital marketing was kind of out of the picture and you got a, a position at a print shop. That's correct. You were kind of handling yeah. all the operations. Yeah. And maybe we can just kind of start there and kind of sure. um, go from there of your career and how it flourished sure. until the wealthy marketer. Yeah. Today. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a good, that's a good point. And I, and I realize I'm kind of going off in a tangent. I'm not telling the story as, as, as I normally do. Um, we love so we I love the change. Like, yeah, we, we, we like up. to break it down and just go yeah. how it naturally goes. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, so let's just put it this way, right? Um, let's go back to high school. When I was in high school, right? I'm trying to fit in with the wealthy kids, but I'm I'm in a you know blue collar household, right? So how did I fit in with the wealthy kids through kind of like to some degree to some degree, guys, through drugs and alcohol? You know, that was the way that I could you know relate, yeah. right? 
So I hung out with the wealthy kids and like the best way I could relate to them was through, you know, drugs and alcohol. So yeah. I had challenges in high school with that. Right. Nothing too crazy. Right. But, you know, it, it was a factor. Um, and I also had challenges with a lot of the courses that I was taking. You know, I'd get a bad math mark. My parents would get mad at me. I'd suck in science. My parents would get mad at me. But then there was this one course that I took marketing. And I guess because it was like a combination of business and art and like I'm a creative person and I, I believe to some degree I have strong business acumen. It was like a course that like stuck out for me and I really enjoyed it. And that's ultimately what inspired me to like um, take marketing in college. Right. So when I when I applied for college, it was 1999. OK. And when I got into college, it was kind of like 1999 transitioning into 2000. OK. And. In and around this time, what was happening was there was this big dot-com boom. For example, Elon Musk in 1999, he already had his McLaren, right? He got the McLaren through the dot-com boom, right? And then next thing you know, there was a bust, right? So I'm going into college at this time when the dot-com boom busted and the internet was broken, right? So I did three years of college from you know 2000 through to 2003 and the internet was kind of like it kind of like came and went like a lot of people to some degree wrote it off there were still people out there trying to make it work right and in some capacity you know i'm sure amazon was still selling books at that time right but the opportunity had kind of like come and gone so being in college and around this time we're trying to like navigate between like the old the, the old world and like the broken internet right and still you know trying to piece it together so when i got out of college there wasn't very many kind of like internet opportunities. The internet was kind of like to some degree, a little bit like scaled back and at a standstill. It yeah. wasn't booming, right? There was no real business model, proven business model for it yet, right? So that's what led me into print, okay? So I ended up getting a job with um, a print marketing firm and uh, what they specialized in was uh, pizza flyers for pizzerias largely all across America. So we were in Canada and we were selling this kind of like high-end pizza flyer solution to, you know, big chain pizzerias like Domino's, you know, uh, 10 to 100 location pizzerias, you know, regional maybe, yeah. and then mom and pop pizzerias all across America. And if you think about that, that's kind of like an interesting business model, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously the pizza business is a big business, right? There's probably like still pizzerias at every street corner. Where you guys are totally yeah oh, big time <laughs> but it was kind of cool because it kind of like gave me my first real exposure to capitalism right i got a chance as a canadian to experience capitalism through the pizza business through the american pizza business right and i just saw how powerful the you know economic system is right because the pizzerias all across america were coming to our canadian company and buying pizza flyers from us. But at the same time, we had pizzerias across Canada who wanted nothing to do with our pizza flyers, right? And it, it, a lot of it just has to do with the, the mentality, yeah. right? The American mentality and, and, and capitalism as a whole, right? So mm -hmm. I just gained like this big appreciation for America and the way it, it did business and, and how powerful it could, it could be as an economy, right? Uh, so then while I was working with that pizzeria, like, or sorry, when I was working with the, the print marketing company, I worked with them for about a year and a half. 
And then I kind of like had this epiphany. I'm like, you know what? I don't know fully about this print thing like forever. Like, I think maybe there is something in it that's going to happen with the internet. And like, um, I'm not like 100% fully comfortable with the amount of education that I had. So I, I made the choice to go back to school and like, okay. you know, get my undergrad degree at Ryerson University, which is a university, a big university based in Toronto. So I went okay. back to school, right? Did two more years of university, grinded it out. It was hell. Um, but I, I ended up getting my degree. And then shortly after that, um, the internet was starting to kind of like pop off again, right? We, we recovered from the, from the bust and, you know, people were making things work. Uh, and what I, what ended up happening was, uh, a friend that I went to school with ended up hooking me up with a job with an, with an American company this time, this company was called Greenfield online. They were based in Wilton, Connecticut, and they were in the online market research business and they were publicly traded on the NASDAQ. Um, and this would have been in and around kind of like, uh, 2006. Yeah. So, you know, 2006, you just think of what, what, what was about to happen. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and here's that follow. Um, so then I'm now I'm working with an American company and like I'm rolling, I'm, I'm, I'm working hand in hand with the Americans and, you know, we're taking over the industry. Right. Um, so that was a cool experience because like I saw like how a sales oriented American corporate America, uh, company operated. It was all about quotas. It was, you know, you put each sales guy was there on the board and, you know, you, every, every day we would get an update as to who was selling what and how much they were selling and what percent of their quota was so on and so forth. Right. Um, and it was just like an amazing experience just to be, you know, working for, uh, an American company that was publicly traded on the NASDAQ and, you know, they were, you know, pushing themselves to become this, you know, $100 million a year company at the time, you know, 100 million doesn't sound like much now. Right. But back then it was. <laughs> um, so then what happened, you know, the company kind of like grew, grew, grew. And then 2008 came and then there was the, uh, the financial crisis, right? So, um, the company that I was working for, they had to lay people off. I survived the layoffs. Right. Um, and in and around this time also, while the financial crisis was happening, the, the first iPhone was released. So this is like very disruptive time, you know, the financial crisis ha hit and now there's this thing called the iPhone, right? Yeah. <laughs> probably to some degree, like saved, saved us from, you know, recovering from the financial crisis quickly. Um, so we navigated this financial crisis, you know, we, we cut, we made cuts, right? You know, some people left, some people got let go, you know, some people stayed. And then shortly thereafter, an opportunity came up where Microsoft ended up acquiring the company. Right. Wow. So I got, kind of got to experience this full cycle of working from, for this publicly traded American company all the way through like this big growth mode to the financial crisis to then witnessing Microsoft come in and scoop us up for a nice chunk of change. Wow. I wish I was a shareholder. That would have been. Yeah. <laughs> you could have been. They were on the NASDAQ. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I could have been. Yeah. If I was smart enough, yeah. I, I could have like uh, bought some stock for sure. I could have bought yeah. 10 shares maybe. <laughs> so I've got a question. And yeah. forgive me if this makes you feel old, but I was born in 2000. I think, Nick, were you, you were also born in 2000 or 99? 99. Yeah. So I really have no idea what the dot-com boom and bust was all about. Really? Can you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, That's I was so crazy. 
I was yeah. just being born when all that happened. Uh, the, uh, the internet's always been around as long as I'm concerned. Yeah, you guys are born with the internet. That That's a nice yeah. luxury. You know, I was born in 1981, okay? The millennial generation started that year. So I'm basically like the godfather of the millennial generation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the internet, like, there was barely even computers in 1981, right? So... You know, the first thing, first time I remember seeing a computer, I was in kindergarten. They they wheeled this, this boxy thing in and, you know, there it was, right? And then, you know, going into like the late 80s and early 90s, maybe the internet was invented, right? And then what happened was the internet was going to become this big thing, right? So all of a sudden, everybody just started pouring money into making it happen, right? Conceptually, the internet was going to be huge, Right? So in the late 90s, anybody and everybody was throwing money at these internet startups. It's almost like comparable to like how there's a new coin coming out every day in crypto, yeah. right? This is the concept of the coin. Let's plow money into it, right? So this is the concept of the dot-com, you know, diapers.com, you know, uh, tools.com, this thing.com, that thing.com. Millions upon millions of dollars is getting poured into these companies, right? The people were there and they're building basically like HTML, CSS websites with a, perhaps a little dinky database, right? But there was no one transacting, right? So the money was getting poured in and it was getting used on human resources to like make all these internet companies uh, a thing. <laughs> but there was just no sales going on. Yeah, there was no sales. And like, you know, the people ate up the salaries, right? And then eventually like, um, and there, there was a lot of like uh, Wall Street scams going on too. I know that a lot of people kind of like got burned by dot com investments, mm -hmm. right? And then basically what ended up happening was almost overnight, you know, the money all got pulled and the entire space imploded, right? So that's an example of what it was a dot com boom because everyone was investing money and starting companies and, you know, everyone, everyone was getting rich. Um, and prices of stocks were going up and like overinflated, right? But you're basically throwing money at like uh, these these concepts that actually didn't have like business fundamentals yeah. in place. And that's what led to the dot-com bust. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So Thank we had to like start over, <laughs> right? Um, and I think like probably in and around like 2004, 2005, 2006, that's when um, people started to like figure out a way to get the internet to work and actually like monetize properly. Yeah. I even think back to like 2002, 2003, that was probably in and around the first time that like you could use Google and think of how effective Google is today. Right. Yeah. Back then you would go, you'd be working on a, a research project for school and you'd go to Google to try to like find like the, the research that you needed or the answers that you needed. And you would put like a search term in and Google would pr provide you with like the, the worst results imaginable. <laughs> like the answers weren't there. Right. But today you go and you search something and like immediately you're going to find like, you know, something. Like a million results and like the yeah. three of the closest answers. Results, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just imagine that frustration that, you know, people like myself or people before me had to go through without the power of, you know, the Internet actually working. Wow. Yeah. So the so the Microsoft merger came in with Greenfield acquisition. Yeah. Acquisition, they acquisition yeah. Greenfield 
and you got to see that merger um, yeah. or that acquisition take place. Where yeah. would that kind of launch you from after that? Would you? Well, I kind of like a little um, of a digital marketing yeah. experience, right? Yeah, for sure. So basically, uh, while I was doing my thing at Greenfield, right? I kind of like was it, uh, scratching my entrepreneurial itch at the same time, right? I got into, actually got into the concept of making money online. I came across an ad, make money online. I clicked it. I learned about affiliate marketing and like one thing led to another. And I went down like the affiliate marketing rabbit hole for a few years. And I started like kind of like um, building my own little affiliate websites and then eventually selling my own digital products and then having this kind of like itch to go all in as an entrepreneur, right? And I kind of like got sick of like, you know, the commute, the nine to five commute and like all the bureaucracies that came with it. And um, I made the choice to leave that company and, you know, try my hand full time at entrepreneurship, um, you know, running a, an online marketing company that involved affiliate marketing and, and selling digital goods. Um, but it was very short lived. My attempt at entrepreneurship that time around was very short lived. And what I ended up having to do after probably like two, three months, you know, at that time I had a place, I had a wife, I had a kid, right? I realized I couldn't really, you know, swing it. Yeah. I had to actually get another job and, and provide for my family again. So I ended up pivoting back into the online market research business, uh, but this time with a company, like a startup uh, that was based in LA. Um, and I worked, I got a, I got a sales job with them and kind of like traveled back and forth from Toronto to LA. Um, and, you know, at that's the same a long time, flight. Doing, yeah. Well, four hours. So <laughs> oh, okay. too crazy. Yeah. Four hours direct. Yeah. But it was nice. You know, I, I always had this kind of like California dream coming up because you see a lot of it on TV. Right. So I kind of got that chance to experience the California dream. Um, but then what happened after a year of working for that company, uh, people found out that I was kind of like doing some, you know, website stuff on the side and they're like, you got to like choose between working for us or like doing your websites. Right. And I made the big, bold move to, you know, go full force with the website business. Yeah. And I did it at a time when my second son was born. He was three months old. Right. And we had just moved into a house, a new house, a new bigger house, you know, six months before. Right. And here I am going all in, probably at the, the worst imaginable time, right? <laughs> yeah. And that would have been in 2010. So you guys would have been 10 years old. And I was going all in as an entrepreneur building uh, websites for people. And it was like the hardest thing that I ever experienced. But this time I didn't go back. This time I, I just pushed myself. I grinded it out. I just started like selling one website after another. It was very hard at first. It was very messy at first, you know, but one thing led to another and uh, I ended up kind of like finding some level of stability and I was able to get this website design business cash flowing, right? Um, and getting it to the point where, you know, I could pay myself and, you know, pay my contractors and such, right? Um, and pay my mortgage, right? But then there wasn't, there, I wasn't kind of like thinking about like, Yo, I should be investing in the stock market, right? Or yo, there's this thing called Bitcoin, you know, that just came out, right? <laughs> yeah. um, it was like I was like distracted, mm. you know. Um, and now, ever since then, I've been an all-in entrepreneur, right? I 
have built multiple businesses. I've had partnerships that have come and gone. I've done my own thing. You know, now I'm here in BC, uh, upwards of 12 years later, I have a, my own digital agency, um, with a team of 12 people, right. I'm bigger, stronger, better than ever. And, um, I also have like other projects that I'm running right on the sidelines. Cause I am trying to hit a home run. I don't want to just be in the agency business forever. And at the same time, I'm practicing what I preach behind the concept of get the stock market working for you, get crypto working for you, get real estate working for you. You know, so they say to some degree, it like takes 10 years to become an overnight success. And I've kind of experienced that um, through my entrepreneurial journey from 2010 when I went all in up until today. I want to talk about the mindset behind you know being entrepreneur like betting on yourself versus sticking with that job because you just had a new baby a new house got to put food on the table yeah and i see behind you the 10x rule four hour work week good to great rich dad poor dad so when did yeah. the the self-development investing in yourself when did that start to take place and how did that mm. um you know sort of change your mind and keep you in the right direction because you always could go back to that a W-2 job that was going to pay you sure. a good salary that allowed you to buy the house and support the family. Yeah. But it, it, lo it looks like, and those must be some significant books in your life. You got them hanging on the wall. Um, yeah. How did, how did investing in yourself impact your trajectory? Yeah, it certainly has had a big impact on me over the years. You know, uh, I started re delving into self-help books, right? Or, you know, business books, um, in the mid 2000s. Um, and I had a lot to learn. You know, I had a lot, I had a lot to learn. And I had a lot to unlearn, right? Because because of my upbringing. Um, uh, but it certainly got me, you know, got my mindset, right? You know, one book after another, I started, you know, thinking differently and, you know, feeling more confident in, in the pursuit of my entrepreneurial dreams. Um, and now I've read over 100 kind of like self-development, uh, self-development books, business books, uh, entrepreneur books, like books that tell stories behind the billionaires, right? For mm -hmm. example, Steve Jobs or Elon Musk uh, and many others. I've read a lot of them, right? Um, so the role that books has played, every book that I've read, I've always like tried to take action on it, right? So like, for example, the four hour work week, obviously I don't live the four hour work week every week, but like I do apply some of the principles to this day. And I do sometimes have four hour work weeks. Like there was a couple of weeks ago, a friend came and visited from Paris and that was certainly a four hour work week. Right. Um, so that's an example. As far as the 10 X rule, you know, I read the 10 X rule in and around 2017 and Grant Cardone ultimately lit a fire under my butt and made me realize just how much more action that I needed to take. And then that led me to learning more about Grant Cardone and then learning about his 10X Growth Con 2 and his mentor program, right? Which I joined and I attended. I was at 10X Growth Con 2. Um, and that event in itself had a profound impact on me and, and so many people just like me, right? Like even people in your world, right? They were at that conference, right? Mm -hmm. And what took place from that conference in kind of like, I think it was like 2017, February of 2017, potentially what took place from that conference to today with so many people, including people in your circle, right? It's, it's nothing shy of phenomenal, right? Yeah.
So it just goes to show you how, how impactful a book like the 10X Rule can be and how it can lead you to, um, you know, pedal to the metal in, in making your dreams happen. Absolutely. And um, uh, to go back a little bit, Matt, so when you were with the LA startup, yeah. was this, um, was, you know, the mental mindset, what was that something you were gaining from your coworkers there? Or was this something that you were just stirring up on the side along with your websites? You were just educating on yourself. Yeah. Lots of self-education Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, definitely. And- and so what you were doing, clients were coming to you who were starting businesses and they wanted websites. So you were making yeah. websites for them. For, I was making like, websites for people. Yeah. Very okay. tedious, painful job, especially back then. Right. Because it was, it was a lot of like, you know, hand coded stuff. Right. Now the technology is way better. You know, anyone can build a website. You can go to Wix and build one. Right. Or you can use the latest WordPress technology and not even have to touch like a piece of code. Yeah. Right. Um, but back then, yeah the technology just wasn't fully developed and it was a lot of like back and forth between clients and myself and developers and everything like that. Yeah. It was certainly a grind. And so then um, that kind of, then that kind of moved to the digital agency. So can you yeah. kind of break down the digital agency to us and how that kind of looks like in your 12, uh, your 12 team members there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I will say this, like looking when I was in the website business, mm-hmm. I realized quickly that doing websites, and like trying to sustain that, that wasn't a good business model because it's all project work, right? So yeah. uh, eventually after a year or two, I, I, start, I started to pivot more towards internet marketing and having people pay me every month to you know, run an SEO campaign, run their Google ads, maybe manage their website for them, right? Um, and that was like a big, uh, a critical success factor for me then and also today, right? Because everything that I do now through my digital agency, if we're working together, you're ultimately paying my agency to support your digital marketing initiatives on a monthly basis. Every single client that I have pays my team every month to strategize and then execute their digital marketing initiatives, right? And, and it's a full service digital agency. The agency that I, ha- I have now, it's called Grow a Search. Uh, we're, we're dedicated to helping our clients build out a complete online presence that's going to allow them to get all the inbound leads and customers they need in order to meet their business growth objectives and gain a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Right. And we do that by helping them with their website, helping them with their content, helping them with their SEO, Google ads, Facebook ads, uh, email marketing, marketing automation, and everything in between. Right. And taking this approach, it's a very sticky model, mm-hmm. right? I've had clients working with me under this model for upwards of 10 years now. And um, I've been able to get them really, really good results, right? Because this stuff does work when executed appropriately, you know, when digging deep and like making that actual investment and like not just having like a, a dinky little website that's sitting there and like whatever, but like actually like, you know, going through the process and the art and science of it all. Right. If you if you get this stuff set up proper, it can uh, certainly work wonders for any business, regardless of how successful you already are today or not. Right. Building up that complete online presence and getting digital marketing working right for you across the digital marketing landscape. It can it can take your your business to the next level, regardless of, of how hard you're pushing things on the sale with the sales team or through social media in itself. Right. This stuff 
certainly works wonders for the people that are willing and able to make the investment in it and for the people that believe in it. And, you know, the sad thing, the hard thing about all this is, is it's difficult and challenging at times to convince people that, you know, they need all this stuff. You yeah. know, it's worth the investment, right? That's the hardest thing that I have to deal with in, in running this business. It's just finding the right people to get on board with the concept, embrace it, and then find success with it. But again, the clients that I do have that have embraced it, their success has been exponential. I've taken guys from zero to seven, eight figures many times over. Can you talk about the importance of building a personal brand? Because the wealthy marketer, that's that's your your personal brand. You do a lot on social media. Like, sure. Why is it so important to you know, have that presence for yourself, not only for your business? Yeah, for sure. So we all know, for the most part, we all understand the importance of having a personal brand. I think everybody should be investing in their personal brand. In in my case, uh, I, I doubled down on the wealthy marketer versus the name Matt Colangelo. Uh, because I, I feel that it uh, better represents my journey uh, and who I am today as a person. I am the wealthy marketer. Uh, and I feel like um, through the wealthy marketer, I'm able to kind of like draw attention to the things that I'm doing business-wise, right? And at the same time, I'm able to kind of share my knowledge and experience and concepts with other aspiring marketers out there as well. Because I don't want them to be struggling mar marketers. I want them to become wealthy marketers, right? I don't want them to go through the struggles that I ended up going through, right? I, I, went, I took the long road to figure out the process, right? Now, under the name The Wealthy Marketer, I want to teach people the process and ensure that they become wealthy marketers and, and they prosper through the power of digital marketing, both um, in what they do for a living while also ensuring that like they're making the right financial decisions and investments, mm -hmm. and then also le leading a very fulfilling life through travel, adventure, and freedom of time and place. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I think everybody has some sort of angle that they could yeah. play off to build their personal brand. You just got to dig down and maybe go through some life experience in order to figure out what that is. You know, and for me, it happened a couple of years ago. I, I figured something out, right? You know, for other people, you know, they might have to go through a little bit more in order to get there, right? But you always got to try. You always got to try to figure out, you know, who you are, what your personal brand could represent, and then, you know, piece it together in a way where um, it can be meaningful to the world. And ultimately, in, in this, in, in what Coach Bert talks about is becoming that person of interest, right? So a lot of the wealthy marketer was inspired off some of Coach Bert's uh, lessons and concepts. And, you know, here we are today. And I believe that the wealthy marketer has a bright future for many Absolutely. years. Absolutely. And um, just kind of give us a vision of the wealthy marketer future. Can you kind of lay out your vision for the, the wealthy marketer and your end goal? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, firstly, like I have like a, a strong website built out for the wealthy yeah. marketer. You can learn more about the wealthy marketer at thewealthymarketer.com. And uh, my stories there, you know, so people that, you know, are in marketing, perhaps, you yeah. know, take time to read that, you know, it might inspire you, you might be able to resonate with it. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, I offer coaching, right? So if, if you want to get in marketing, 
you want to do marketing for a living, right? Or you are a marketer and you want to make sure that like you're developing the right skills and doing the right things with your money. I can coach you there, right? I'm also working on an online course because I know the digital marketing landscape from A to Z. I feel like I can share my lessons in kind of like a structured form. So anyone that wanted to learn digital marketing uh, for their for their own use or to be qualified for a job or uh, to you know sharpen their skills, diversify their skills, or even if they're running their own business and they want to do digital marketing effectively, right? Or maybe if you're brave, you want to start your own digital marketing agency, mm-hmm. my course will be able to help you. Uh, this is still a work in progress, but ideally it will come to be sooner than later. Um, I'm also in the process of writing a book, right? So the Wealthy Marketer book should be coming soon. Maybe next year we'll have it completed. Uh, and with that book, I'm going to be sharing my story in longer form. I'm going to be sharing uh, the opportunities that are available through digital marketing. And I'm going to be sharing the process of becoming a wealthy marketer, right? And I'll just touch very briefly on what that process is, right? So in becoming a wealthy marketer, first thing is you have to get your mindset right. Okay. You got to get like things right between your two ears. You got to like make sure that you have a positive mindset, a growth mindset, and um, be open-minded to new concepts and, and continuously invest your time into reading nonfiction books. I think it's very important. Mm-hmm. Once you kind of like got that flowing, then you're going to want to figure out the skills that you need to develop, right? Because with digital marketing, it's all about like uh, developing skills that you can then bring to the marketplace in order to make money, whether it's through a job, a side hustle, uh, running your own agency, whatever, right? Develop skills that are in demand in the marketplace today. So some of these skills could be, you could become a full stack web developer. You could uh, drill down an SEO. You could run ads on Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Uh, What else is big? Video production, right? Things like this. Drill down in the skills that um, resonate with you and you feel um, best suit you, right? For for what your interests are and, and what your strengths are, right? And then use those skills to make money whether it's, again, a job, a side hustle, um, running your own business or running your own agency. And then after that, you got to uh, go through the, the motion of investing, right? So don't I, I want to help people not make the mistake of just working and like spending their money and maybe buying a place, right? Mm-hmm. I think that the more meaningful process that people should follow is you got to get the stock market working for you. Ideally, you know, US-based companies, the S&P 500, or perhaps build a stock portfolio of high quality US companies that you know have good management, they have good financials and they have good growth prospects, right? Get the stock market working for you. It's the easiest way to get compound interest working for you, right? And without it, you're at a huge disadvantage in this world. Then after that is crypto, right? Obviously something disruptive is happening with crypto today, yeah. right? So you got to get some skin in the game with that. Obviously it's more risky than stocks and perhaps more risky than real estate, but the upside is, is, is too great. You've got to have that working for you too. And then after you have stocks and crypto working for you, then I believe um, you should, you know, move on to the real estate side of things. And some people might, you know, uh, <laughs> might uh, challenge me on that. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm just trying to help people avoid just being invested in real estate and not, and then avoid the, 
the opportunity behind stocks and crypto because they're so inundated and in, in, in focused on the upside of real estate, right? It's, it's easiest to get stocks working for you. Then it's also easy to get crypto working for you. And then once you have those things working for you, you can like trim them up, trim your gains off the top and then get into real estate, right? So stocks, crypto, real estate in that order. I'm a big believer in it. And Matt, I would, I'd love to uh, ask you a couple questions about the crypto and um, Tim was telling me you're a pretty big crypto enthusiast. And uh, this last week, I've been doing some research and uh, been following some influencers in that space. And yeah, they talked about how important it is to market correctly when a new coin comes out to build a, you know, a solid foundation for the community to come. Are you kind of venturing in that space as far as, you know, creating the digital marketing agent, you know, the uh, digital marketing and the marketing pieces, the video productions for um, you know, new coins and new communities and growing communities in that space. I'm not, I'm not involved in that space in that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just do di digital marketing for, you know, traditional businesses. Right. Um, and at the same time, as I'm doing the digital marketing for the traditional businesses and I'm making my money, I'm then putting it to work yeah. in crypto as, as a piece to the pie. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not like involved hands on in the space. I'm just more of like I'm a, I believe in Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is like it's a blessing to, you know, 80 percent of the people in this world. To watch the banks aren't doing anything to help them. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, it's giving a lot of people hope and a chance to kind of like, uh, you know, get ahead to some degree. And then obviously, you know, there's Bitcoin and there's Ethereum and then there's all the altcoins thereafter. Uh, so you got to kind of like just do your research and figure out, you know, how you want to play crypto and, you know, get in there, get some skin in the game, even if it's a small piece to your overall investment portfolio. Absolutely. So marketing is obviously very important to any business. If you want to yeah. make money, people got to know you exist. So what advice would you give to say a young entrepreneur who is not very marketing minded, but is wanting to get out there, uh, things that they can do to grow their business when they're not necessarily in a position to hire someone like you to come in and take it over sure. and come in and yeah. do all of it. Like what, what would be the foundations of an entrepreneur's marketing knowledge if they're just, yeah. if they're not this marketer, not if they're not this wealthy marketer and they're, they're yeah. just wanting to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So obviously the entrepreneurs that make an investment in marketing, whether they do it themselves or they pay someone to do it, they're, they're the ones that kind of like um, really get ahead of the game. Right. Um, you can still run a business without doing marketing and just focus on, you know, direct sales and stuff like that. But yeah, there's opportunities being missed. Uh, but ultimately, you know, what can you do? The, the, there is the easy way of like just focusing on social media and the platforms that exist there. And, you know, you can run you can run an ad campaign on Facebook, a lead ad campaign on Facebook to generate leads for your business without even having anybody touch your website. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's one. What are some tips on someone trying to get into that? Yeah. Just learn how to build a Facebook ad campaign. YouTube and it. Come, up, come up with an offer. Right piece that offer together in a using very uh somewhat like well thought out copy sales oriented copy pairing that up with an, an image that you know highlights the offer 
And then whatever call to action makes the most sense, right? And then, you know, people, you serve that out to your audience, right? You build an, it's all audience-based, right? Based off interest and demographics and geographics and everything like that, right? So you match your offer and ad with the audience. And then from there, you generate the leads through the lead ad form. It's like as simple as that. As simple as that, but also complicated. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if you can learn how to build those types of ads and run them in your market in, and get them in front of people that, you know, ultimately you believe are your customers, then you can win. You can simply win at scale using yeah. that one strategy. But then beyond that, like I highly recommend, you know, do all the right things across all the opportunities that are available to you, right? Like get a website, get a good quality website built and ideally hire someone professionally, right? Mm -hmm. Make an investment in your SEO strategy. So when, when people search locally for what you offer, they can find you, right? Advertise on Google, advertise on Facebook, advertise on LinkedIn, if it makes sense. Build an email marketing list, right? send emails out to the people on your list right and then the other big thing is like content you know content ha has to content creation needs to to feed into all this stuff too for sure yeah so that's the whole picture but like as far as like what you could do if you don't have any knowledge you know why don't you just um build a lead ad campaign in the facebook ads platform that should get you somewhere quickly right and then also perhaps, you know, make a podcast and talk about your business, right? And and create like a lot of content opportunities through that podcast um, that you can then share on social media and perhaps even have some level of viral virility take place where, you know, your ideal customer finds you in that way, right? I'm a big believer in podcasts for content mm -hmm. creation. You know, it's awesome. You can repurpose so much of it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you got, you just, you know, you get an hour of content and you can, you can split an hour into 15 second clips. A exactly. Times. Yeah. You know, I just, I just published episode one of the wealthy marketer show and I've posted like upwards of 20 little clips on reels and TikTok from that show. And I probably have another 10 clips that are, you know, sitting there waiting to be utilized so mm. it's uh i think podcast when done right and captured in video and maybe even done in person yeah. um ideally right not necessary but ideal um you can create a lot of good quality content that uh you know your prospective audience could get exposed to and that could lead to business opportunities thereafter so an interesting question I just thought of, you were mentioning Reels and TikTok. How has that changed everything? Because it's it seems like anyone can just become a celebrity you know, within a matter of days now, just the virality of TikTok videos and Instagram Reels. And For sure. The algorithms that they've created. Yeah. So uh, historically, it's all about like getting on the platform early, right? You get on the platform or the medium early, socially speaking, um, that's your opportunity to, you know, really take off, right? Mm -hmm. um, so TikTok, let's say a year or two ago, you could post anything and you would get like a couple, you get a thousand views, 2000 views, 3000, 5000, 10,000, 100,000, a million, right? 
Um, but now it's becoming harder because there's so many people uh, posting content to it, right? There's less, there's so much content and like not enough uh, room for distribution of it all. So the views go down, right? Whereas now with Reels, kind of like coming second to the game, right? Copy TikTok, right? Worked it into Instagram. That's where the organic views are coming from today, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, somewhere down the line, maybe the metaverse is where, you know, the, the big opportunity is going to exist. Yeah, you got you got Nick's attention when you mentioned the metaverse. He's, he's <laughs> been he's yeah. been diving all into that. I yeah. think it's bananas. Excited for it. Yeah, you want building to malls in a you know yeah. building malls in a virtual world so people can walk around and shop and you know do different things. That's pretty it's pretty crazy to think about, but it's it definitely interesting coming. to see how it all unfolds. I'm sure it's gonna blow all of our minds. Yeah, <laughs> I reject it. They're forcing yeah. it upon us. Yeah, Tim's, Tim's not about it, but I did love the uh, um, something we do need to start doing, Tim, is TikTok and um, reels and different things like that. I know we've been doing that for the uh, the podcast, but to spit out more um, content for the student of the game. Yeah, and that's one crazy thing. So we we just changed the name of the podcast to Student of the Game recently. Uh, whenever recent. this episode comes out, it, it might not be so recent, but uh, within the last two weeks, we put out episode one under the new name created nice. a brand new instagram account took a clip from it put it on reels and it got like six thousand views there you on, go on an instagram account that was created today you know we nice. created the account posted it six thousand people saw it yeah so that's just uh, that's the power of these types of content yeah, for sure is that kind of uh exposure for free is uh hard to come by you know yeah there's, there's only so many places where you can post a piece of content today and get six thousand views Mm -hmm. Yeah, and reels is probably one of the the one and only kind of thing right mm -hmm. now. And I I think reels are going to be very powerful, if not as powerful as TikTok, maybe even more, uh, just because of the the team behind it. The the whole Facebook will now Meta, that whole company is behind it. They're they're going to figure something out to where they're going to get everybody. Well, well Facebook, uh, well Meta owns Instagram, right? They do. Yeah. So yeah, you know. Wait for the wait for the name change to come there. You know, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. it's already, when I when I log into Instagram, <laughs> when I pull up Instagram. It already says uh, Instagram with Meta. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but just every every feature that is becoming a part of our culture, mm -hmm. they've just been able to adapt it and create it their own. Like yeah. Snapchat yeah. Stories, and do it successfully. Like Snapchat Stories were, you know, only only a snapchat thing and then they're the biggest thing on instagram now like yeah. you're gonna get yeah you know, way more attention on your instagram story than a post most of the time nine times for out of sure 10. for sure yeah story and, is so big yeah so then tiktok blows up everyone's on tiktok and then reels happen people are like oh they're ripping yeah. off tiktok uh -huh. and then people start watching reels yeah and it's just it's just becoming natural for so sure. i think that yeah at they're, some they're point good at, uh, ripping they're good at uh, whatever owning Whatever, whatever gets people's attention and keeps them in the app, Instagram is yeah. going to figure it out and it's going to become more powerful. Sure. So it's exciting and interesting to see where that's going to go in the near future. Yeah, definitely. Even the sunglasses that Zuckerberg's been walking around with, that was a copy <laughs> of, uh, I think, Snap made. Yeah, the Snapchat spectacles or yeah, the spectacles. whatever they were called. Yeah. yeah. So Mark has now taken that concept and, and partnered with Ray-Ban and, and built the technology and you know, those have the potential of becoming big too, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Google Glass? Yeah, I do. 
that was a that was a a big thing that uh as big as it got it it ended up quickly getting canned oddly enough it was kind of weird yeah i think it was a little too ahead of its time yeah people people weren't ready to have a heads up Uh display in their whole life yeah i think that's coming soon enough yeah it'll circle back (laughs) that's crazy but um a question i do have for you matt is uh what's a book that you gift or recommend the most out of the 10 that you've read so far this year yeah good question the 10 that i've read so far this year uh i recently read the compound effect Mm, and i think that's like a good book uh it helps with the mindset and it helps you understand the importance of carrying good habits and repeated habits right uh that if you follow through on let's say for example exercising you know three four days a week for a long period of time eventually you know good things are going to happen to your body right Mm -hmm. (laughs) or if you end up reading regularly right consistently from one day to the next, you're going to gain a lot of knowledge and, uh, you know, become smarter and wiser and probably a better person, more effective person in the process. Or let's say, for example, if you're in sales, right. Mm -hmm. And you get consistent at making sales calls every day, consistently day in day out for a year, two years kind of thing, you're going to see results, right? It compounds. You can yeah. be doing the same totally. thing you were doing a year ago, but you're getting yeah. different results. Yeah, for sure. Because you got better at it, or you just, definitely. You know, it, it all just compounds. Yeah, definitely. And even you can take my digital agency experience, right? The first, you know, one month, two months, six months, twelve months was really hard. But once I kind of got to the year and a half mark, right, things started to kind of like come together, and I and I and I experienced the compound effect. I think it takes eighteen months for a compound effect to to take hold, right? Um, and, and it, that the results and success continues to compound to this day, right? I would not be where I, where I am today without the, you know, first 10 years of running my business and, and sticking with it. Um, and each year it just keeps on getting bigger and better because I'm focused on it. Yeah. Yeah. What's the greatest lesson you've learned in the last 12 months? The greatest lesson that I learned in the last 12 months. I will tell you the greatest lesson that I learned in the past 12 months. This is huge. Having a good quality team in place to Mm -hmm. support all the things that you are responsible for is invaluable. Yeah. There was so many years where I was doing 10 plus jobs. And even over the past couple of years, maybe I I narrowed it down to like five to eight jobs, right? But now I have all the right people in all the right seats doing all my jobs, right? And that, you know, it was was a huge risk that I took by acquiring all these team members and and putting them in the right place with the right role and and training them and showing them the way, right? Mm -hmm. But... It's allowed me to be a much more effective business person, CEO, leader, and my clients are getting really good results in the process as well. And I'm not going crazy because 
Now I'm doing to some degree, you know, one or two or maybe three jobs instead of 10. Yeah. Right. So I've learned that uh, making an investment in the right team with the right mix of people and not cutting short anywhere. Um, it's totally worth it because that's the only way that you can truly succeed and scale. That's the only way that you can truly succeed and scale as a business operator by having the right team in place. So it's a worthwhile investment. Super powerful. And overall, your business is just, just operating to a higher efficiency too, because you're not doing 10 jobs and your clients are loving their results because it's just more effective and everybody has their sure. own role and everybody's getting taken care of and you guys are growing at a rapid rate, it sounds like. So that's a, that's amazing advice. Steady, I hope steady, steady pace for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, Matt, do you have any last words before we wrap this thing up? Uh, let's talk a little bit about real estate. Why don't yeah. you guys share with me your perspective on real estate and what it takes to, uh, you know, where, where the opportunities are. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about the Canadian real estate market and then we can shut things down. Well, first, got to say congrats to Nick. He just closed a real estate deal the other day. So let's let's jump into that. Tell them about or we'll tell Matt about sure. how that deal went down. Yeah, absolutely. So it was a uh, it was a so it was a wholesale deal. So we assigned the contract. We didn't purchase the property, um, but you know this lead was we you know we consistently marketed to this prospect, and uh, we really built some rapport with this seller that was in a tough situation. He, she had to move out of her duplex because she couldn't afford the mortgage anymore. Yeah. And uh, so what we did, we put it under contract for one seventy five, and you know over the the term of thirty days, um, she just really had a tough time getting all of her stuff out so what we did this past week is i hired a guy you know tim you know tim shout out ken came through and this this poor guy you know for four days moved couches dressers all by himself oh I mean, yeah that's what, he, that's what he does and uh -huh. uh, we got we got everything moved out we got her taken care of and uh we wholesaled it um to a an investor out of california um for two hundred thousand. So nice. a little 25 grand assignment fee and yeah. we, we got the deal done. But I mean, it was, it was a long and timing process. I want to say maybe five months, the whole deal process oh, yeah. from the initial contact to um, a closed deal. Um, Amazing. So that was exciting. That happened yesterday. Um, but I think just, I guess just starting off in the, the Chattanooga market, if you know, you would kind of in our ballpark over here, it's a very growing area. And I think we're kind of seeing, you know, all over the United States, the occupancy rates, I want to say, are like 98, 99%, especially in multifamily. And I don't know if that's what we're seeing in single family. I think I got that statistic from Ken McElroy. Um, I love his love his videos. I would definitely recommend you checking that out, Matt. He talks about different, different um, asset classes and brings on operators from all those different asset classes, some, some very experienced operators. And uh, he has like a weekly news report too, you can see, but especially in Chattanooga, we're seeing a lot of, we're seeing a lot of urban growth in the city and we're seeing a lot of suburban growth out in the neighborhoods, a lot of developers coming in all the way from Chattanooga to Knoxville, you know, to Johnson city, just buying up a lot of land to build yeah. um, the housing that's needed for people moving to the, the Southeast for sure. um, and companies starting to break ground and build factories and um, in this particular, you know, location, but so things are booming in Chattanooga. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. booming everywhere. 
yeah, for yeah. the most part, for sure. Um, I've heard that New York is bouncing back. California is not struggling as hard as they were with everyone moving out. Like, it's still crazy everywhere. Yeah. There's, uh, and then there was a statistic I saw today. I don't know what it was, but it's like, uh, like over the next 15 years, California is going to need 8 million houses built and they're only going to build like 80,000 at a time or something like that. Yeah. Like they're, they're not going to be able to meet the demand. There's certainly um, a, a global supply shortage. For real yeah. So, so a lot of people that are not into real estate are talking about, I'm going to wait for the crash. I'm going to wait for the correction. And if you look at some of the data, like there's, not even enough supply right now like that it's a supply and demand issue there's yeah. not enough supply so if people start losing their houses they're just going to keep getting bought it's not going to be like 2008 2009 when there was just houses sitting on the market for months and months because there was no one to buy them like there there's people competing you know 30,000 40,000 50,000 cash over asking price yeah and it's just not the same situation that it was like right it is truly a supply and demand issue and a lot of that can be contributed to the shortage of labor number one but lumber because yeah. there was you, yeah. you couldn't get lumber for a good price it went up like 450 percent so people had bought land got a contract to build their home and then once it starts being built prices went up five times and they're like that's not that doesn't make sense so right. building stopped for a while people just were not you know <laughs> they had nowhere to move to and it's yeah it's truly a an interesting situation just Definitely. there's there's just not enough supply is yeah. the thing that's driving all the prices for sure for sure and that gives yeah. real estate the upside that uh, mm -hmm. we're seeing right now globally yeah, it does. And and with the inflation, it's a good time to be holding real estate because yeah. prices are going up. And when when taxes and prices go up, rent goes up. It doesn't hurt the people owning real estate at all. Yeah. So right. uh, it is a good time to have already been in real estate. But I, I, I don't think you would go wrong getting into real estate. My prediction is that um, prices will slow down at some point, but they may never go below where they're at today. If you're waiting for it to go down, it'll go down at some point, but yeah. it's not going to, you know, it's not going to dip below November, 2021 prices most likely. For sure. And, and sure. I heard a pretty good um, um, resource um, from Hunter Thompson. He brought on a uh, um, economist and they talked about, you know, what they see for the future. And they said, they kind of gave a projection around 2026 when they see land prices getting so high that developers cannot build anymore. It just doesn't make sense. Then you'll start seeing that decrease in prices and um, you know, that switch when the interest rates start going up when they just can't build anymore supply. But I mean, going back to your um, statement, Tim of developers just developing, you know, so many products to uh, bring to the market and their timelines are just continuously being pushed out because they can't get those materials. There were people are still buying, um, I can't remember this. I read an article from the largest home builder that you know goes around and purchases um, home building companies. So they, I think they're called uh, it's H Covenhan or something like that, K Hovenen or or something like that, where they go around and purchase home builders all around the country. And they were saying, I want to say like, and this is you know this is butchered because I can't remember the exact term, but it's like eighty five percent of the homes that were planned to being built were bought before the foundation was poured. 
to, oh, the, yeah. to the home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's absolutely crazy. And overall in the Chattanooga market, we, you know, a couple months ago, we were seeing that 40, 50, you know, thousand over asking price cash. But now we're starting to see a slower down more heart, you know, more houses on the market, but they're still being bought um, frequently, especially the, yeah. uh, the good ones in those solid locations here. Good but, stuff. You, you got it. You got us talking about real estate. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, good. Well, <laughs> so what, what, are, what are your thoughts on real estate or maybe your questions? Well, I feel like you guys have a better, a more healthy real estate market than Canada has. Because while uh, the prices continue to climb, uh, your average income is still kind of like following the line, right? You know, mm-hmm. the other day, Tim, I shared with you that, that article, that oh, yeah. Come- article. Mm-hmm. comparing the US graph, right? to Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, your graph is kind of like this and then like there's a 2008 financial crisis that went down and then kind of like going back up, but like both the, the income line and the uh, house price line, it kind of like they track each other. Right. Whereas with, with Canada, it's kind of been like this and it's been tracking pretty good. And then it dropped at some point, like I think in the early nineties and then went back up and then in the mid two thousands, or even in around the financial crisis, what ended up happening with us is um, real estate prices just skyrocketed. They skyrocketed like this, and they're still skyrocketing, but you know, average income is being left behind, right? So it's just like a very ugly looking chart. And probably to some degree, if you guys looked at you know how much I had to pay for a modest home here, it would blow your mind, yeah. Um. Like a shipbox detached home can run for upwards of like 1.5, 2 million, 3 million Canadian, right? Wow. <laughs> yeah. You can do the math on that, right? Maybe is, it's is like, that, let's say, is 1 Canadian, million, is Canadian 1. pretty close million, to US million dollar. US. Pardon? I said, is Canadian pretty close to the US dollar? Let's say, for example, if I wanted to buy one US dollar, it would cost me 135 Canadian. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But even even if you do the, the the exchange rate math on it, we're still talking about like a million dollars US yeah. plus for a shitbox home. And is it, has it got some land attached to it, or is it just? Yeah, it's got some land. land. Yeah, it's got some land. Yeah, it's got it's got a little plot of land. Yeah, but not an acre or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's like literally like a like a forty foot lot kind of thing. And, yeah. and that's kind of in the British Columbia. That's you know, Vancouver. In the okay. Vancouver area. Yeah, it's yeah. probably the most expensive market in all of Canada and probably wow. one of the most expensive in the world. Um, mm. you know, but people do want to stay, live here because there's beautiful quality of life right yeah. there in their own backyard. Right. So we pay a premium, but Absolutely. even in Toronto, it's still gotten out of hand. Like no yeah. one is buying, uh, properties based off their income. They're getting yeah. generational hand-me-downs or they have a very large lucrative paycheck, right? Uh, but you know, it, it's, it comes down to like a lot of like generational help and you know, the, the, the super rich buying everything up. And I think, I think there's a little factor in there too, of kind of the cost of capital right now on, um, we had a, we had an episode with uh, Jeffrey Hulse. He's an investor here in Chattanooga. And he, I was listening to this episode earlier today where he talked about, you know, you can get you know, you can um, get financing from 3.25% and under. 
And the inflation rate at that time we had a podcast with Jeff was like 5.1%. So he's like, well, if you, you know, if you went to go buy a, a million dollars worth of toilet paper and sold it the next year, you'd probably be up, up and ahead. Yeah. Um, and gain some profit off that off of there. So I think that's a factor too, where people, it make, might make a little more sense because the cost of capital is so cheap that they get financing right. to buy a higher purchase price. So it'd be interesting yeah. to kind of see that, um, the future, of those prices in Canada, uh, Canada, and I don't know really much anything about the the real estate market up there. Uh, but the British Columbia sounds beautiful, and I'd love to um, look at some pictures and look at the yeah, landscape. You, you intend to come visit there. one day? I'll show you guys yeah, around. I want to. I've always, I've always wanted to go to uh, Jasper National Park. Yeah, I, I remember you telling me that place in I'd see Nashville. Yeah, yeah, Jasper, and then more importantly, Banff. Yeah. yeah. That that one too, but I didn't know how to say it. So yeah, so Jasper was on the list instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the next podcast we do has got to be in person in Vancouver, yeah, British definitely. Columbia. Or you guys can come on yeah. the Wealthy Marketer Show. Visit yeah, that's awesome. I'll have you guys on, and we can talk more about real estate. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll get you out of here, but thank you very much, yeah. Matt, for coming All good. on. Thanks, guys, for your time. Thank yeah, you for everybody that tuned in. Uh, and- First of all, yeah, yeah, Nick, go ahead. Yeah, Matt, where can uh, more people find out more about you? Um, I know you mentioned the wealthymarketer.com, but um, just some more sources if they have any questions or just want to check out what you're doing. For sure. So you can look me up on Instagram as the wealthy marketer. Find me there. Follow me. You'll get all kinds of good advice and a taste of what the good life is here in BC. And definitely head over to thewealthymarketer.com. Everything's there, all my social links, my story, uh, the different uh, solutions that you could you know, buy from me if, if you're interested in learning digital marketing or you need help with digital marketing. Uh, you can also sign up for my free seven-day course, uh, free seven-day email course where I teach you how to become a wealthy marketer step-by-step. Step. Uh, if there's anyone out there that's interested in you know, leveraging digital marketing to prosper and y- use the money that you're making and digital marketing to invest and live the good life, then that would be a good starting point as well. Awesome. All right. We'll end it there. Thanks for having me. Thank you for everyone that tuned in. I'm Tim Stone with my host, Nick Galbraith. See you next time.